Are you on Twitter? Do you follow these folks on Twitter? Some. Here's who I follow. He's not a man. I don't follow any women because I'm not a pervert, but I do follow. And that's it. Okay, well, if you had followed... If, well, I, if you follow women on Twitter, you're a perv, if dude. You, you, might, you might have seen this, because I think he did comment lower in the thread, but... Uh, Wait, mean, who was it? Did he... What, was the thread? Wait, hold on. Was the thread story by a woman? Yes. I blocked all women from Twitter. <laughs> okay. If you see a woman's post, you are a perv. Anyway, Unless so... you are buying their content. <laughs> Wait, their content as in like their premium Snapchats, <laughs> their mini fans account. Yes. I normally start these episodes with a joke, so, uh, here it goes. Martin Scorsese's opinion about Marvel movies. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Haunted Henry. Uh, my, um, my, my name's John. And my, get- my name, my name, my and, name's and, John. And together we're Henry and... Oh, uh, sorry, my name's John. Coming at you to bust the ghost of time, uh, but for legal reasons we cannot use the word bust, so we're just going to talk about it. I, Henry, I I wanted to bring this up to you earlier before we recorded the podcast, but it seemed gauche, and we can cut this out later. It seemed ghost? It seemed ghost. Uh, has the has the road to your apartment been replaced with a crystalline forest? Recently, yes, the uh, the forest is crystalline for you. That's very interesting. For me, it's just uh, a bunch of screaming corpses. Uh, yeah, mine is uh, mine is is crystallized. It's like gossamer threads turned into crystals, turned into trees. It's yeah. they also look like limbs, uh, not tree limbs, but people oh, limbs. Yeah, so I, th- I thought maybe they were corpses, but maybe they are just limbs. I, it's tough to say. I mean, I was driving here, and then all of a sudden, I was walking here, and then I was in the forest, and now here I am. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, God bless them. They're, they're trying to do all these different changes in the city. City council approved, like, millions of dollars of yeah, changes. Yeah. So, like, I, I think I read about that. Protected bike lanes are important. You know, put them on Shoal Creek, uh, you know, crystalline forests, where, whatever, wherever. You know, I'm sure there's a reason for it. There used to be that statue made up of a bunch of uh, bikes yeah. down by uh, Zilker Park. Ai Weiwei. Ai Weiwei? Was that the name of the uh, bikes? I, I think Ai Weiwei did the sculpture. Oh, well, thanks for him. <laughs> uh, but now uh, there's just a bunch of weird sculptures of just, like, weird human remains stacked yeah. on the side of the road. Yeah. Not in any sort of discernible pattern, just heaps. 
Yeah, we just know that the the bike was gone and the heap came. The heap came. And no matter how hard you look at the heap, you can't make out faces. What's really weird is, uh, you know, we're talking about all these changes happening to the city, but I don't remember a time recently that I've not been on this ca- on this ca- on this couch. I don't remember a time. What was I saying? I don't remember. Okay, cool. Did I just get here? I think you did. Okay, seems like a good enough time to start podcasting. We should to probably me. start the show. Okay, well, I start all shows with a joke, so uh, here it goes. Here we go. Martin Scorsese's opinion of the Marvel movies. I'm getting word that we need to introduce this week's sponsor. Oh, yes. This week's sponsor is a new one. A new one. And also the only sponsor we've ever had. A new and a first. First time here on Zero Credits. We're very happy. The normal Man League Bat. Man League Bat World Series is happening right now. And the MLB... Is sponsoring us tonight. That's right. Sit down on your normal couches. Tune in to the Strohs taking on the Nats. Taking on the Nats. Washington Nationals, I believe. Oh, they're called the Washes. The Washes. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's just check. That's why. That. The, that's why the Houston Astros are called the Strohs, short for Houston. Yeah. Uh, the World Series, of course, being yes, played between the Strohs. And the washes tonight. Tune in. Tune out. Turn off. Ghost Rose. And uh, everyone should know that baseball is a very normal thing to watch this time of year. Everyone watch baseball. Watch baseball. Go, go, baseball. Baseball. Go, go, good. The last time I watched baseball, let me tell you about it. It was mere minutes before I came on this podcast. I had watched baseball, as one does, all through the night. Yeah. And I enjoyed the crack of the bat, the whiff of the stands, and most importantly, uh, the advertisements, were, which were just a still picture of Derek Jeter's bloody sock for four to five hours. And I love it. I remember when I was a child, my... Who... And someone would take me to that good old baseball. Was it the hot dog vendor? Because he's my favorite part, especially when he doesn't leave my side the entire game. The hot dog vendor was there, I know. But I also know that I was led by a hand in the darkness to the baseball. Was that hand covered in hot dogs? That's what it is. Yeah, hot dog vendor. Baseball mainstay, go, go, good baseball, good, good, go. My favorite part of any good baseball game is the t-shirt cannon, where people who are wearing t-shirts get shot with a cannon. It's a very fun family fan, fine fan time. And I want to repeat the MLB's tagline, baseball good go go, good go go, baseball go. So why don't you good go go get that, get that, but baseball today. Thanks MLB. Thanks Man League Bat. <laughs> The official MLB for the World Series Strohs. Of course, not to be confused with Manly Bat, who is a particularly manly bat. 
He's also in the league, so he yeah. is in the league. It can get pretty confusing. It's very confusing. It's a real Eli Peyton Manning situation. Now there's a real Texas thing going on with this whole baseball thing. I don't know if you know about this. The Houston Astros <laughs> are located in Texas. Hold on now. You're pulling, you're yanking my chain. It's hard to understand, you know, because there are a lot of teams. There are a lot of teams. And some of them are in Texas. But they don't have Texas in their name. You're right. They're not called the Houston Texas. That's very... And the football team is called the Houston (laughs) Texans. So I very much understand your confusion. I, you know, I thought Astros, they're from space. That's the thing. Houston is also located somewhere in space. But that location is on Earth. When Texas. Which the last time I checked is in space. Yes. I don't know where in space, nor does anyone. I've never been. To space? Uh-huh. You're here right now. Well, here's the thing. So in Houston, Texas, there is a man who owns a mattress store. His name, they call him Mattress Mac. Uh-huh. And he said at the at the beginning of the season... This is absolutely true. He said at the beginning of the season... Is this the normal part of the story? Mattress Mac? He is a man who owns a mattress store. And he said at the very beginning of the MLB season that if the Astros win the World Series, no lie, all of your mattresses are free. If you buy a mattress from me and the Houston Astros win the World Series, your mattress is free. Well, they better win that World Series because I need a mattress. And so here's what he did to uh, get some insurance on his promise. Yes. He has traveled the country making very, very expensive and outrageous bets. Oh, no. On the Houston Atros. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> so that if he, if he, if they win and he has to pay out everybody's mattresses, he's got all this money to cover it. Now, if he loses, he gets to keep the mattress money, but also he owes a lot of bookkeepers across the country. Yes. So, I believe an investment uh, that's typically called hedging, and that is not how it's done. Are you sure? Yeah. I, it seems like a surefire thing if they win. I mean, if we think about the math, so, well, this is a bad bargain to begin with. But if we think about it, he does have a definite limit to his downside potential, right? Right. It's all of the mattresses he sold. It's all Well, his downside potential is if the Houston Astros don't win, this is the money that he has to pay, right? Yeah, yeah just the bookies. Yeah. So, and that's assuming that he has enough insurance from these contra bets. Well, I guess they're not contra bets. They're just in line with the other bet he was making. Yeah. No, they're contra bets because he'll lose if he, if the Houston Astros win, then he'll lose mattress inventory. Technically. He has a known downside potential for how much he has to pay. But his only potential upside is if these bets come good and they help him break even. Yeah. Which they won't. Oh no. (laughs) Because if you know about this mattress lunatic, I guarantee you everyone else does. Yeah, his name is Mattress Mac. Uh, I just saw his Wikipedia. James Franklin McIngville? McIngville? Vale? It's uh, the block of McIngville. McIngville. Uh, also known as Mattress Mac, 
is a business from Houston, Texas. He is known for owning and operating the Gallery Furniture Retail Chain. Okay. He was born in Starkville, Mississippi, which explains nothing. It really doesn't. Now, this doesn't Wait seem like a, a smart bet. Second. What's up? Stark Vegas? Stark Vegas? Betting? Betting? <gasps> he did it. He was it. He was the whole time. <laughs> he was Stark Vegas the whole time. He was him from the song. Mr. Stark Vegas, give me your chain. <laughs> That's it. That's the famous Mississippi traditional. I'm trying to figure out how this makes sense for Mattress Mac. Uh, maybe he just likes the thrill. Publicity? Thrill? Is this a kink for Mattress Mac? You know... In, oh, take my mattresses. You know on the non-Oscar award-winning movie Crash? Yes. <laughs> where, you know, a couple reunites their, their whole deal, their whole thing by getting in car wrecks. Yes. I feel like Mattress Mac and Mrs. Mattress Mac... Are in a bit of a, a rough patch. They're in a... And the only thing that keeps them together is the thrill of winning this huge bet. The thrill of winning this huge bet and then having all of their mattress inventory destroyed. Surely he must have limitations in place. Well, I think... He it, must be like, your first 50 mattresses are free. I, I think what it is is, if you bought a mattress from them during the MLB season, oh, he's going to cover that's those extremely purchases. smart, actually. Yeah. It's not like after the fact you can go in and claim, like, hey, I want my free mattress. It's like, no, no. You had to fork over the money initially, but we'll reimburse you if, you know, it'll be on us if... Or, like, maybe you got a payment plan. We'll pay off your payment plan or something like oh, that. Oh, that's, then that's very smart. Yeah. If these if these bets come due, he almost is definitely in a position to make more money. So his downside potential is known, and he probably calculated that. Yeah. Uh, and then he but just... But why take out the bets? Why take out the bets? Yeah, why take out the bets? To to cover the loss of cash you'd get from all the people at their mattresses on a payment plan, and more importantly, to drive new business for people during the, the World Series to buy mattresses from him and get on payment plans thinking that the Astros might win. He's bringing in a lot of new business, yeah. and it, on the off chance that the Astros do win, he probably rakes in a decent amount from the bets. Okay, well, why does that seem like like the stock market, but like easier? <laughs> that is a it, it is the stock market, <laughs> but easier. Yeah, because you don't have to like keep track of like economic downturns and upturns. You just got to make sure the Strohs win. He's just doing a covered call. Oh no, that's a financial term that scares me to my bone. Yeah, he he's just covering himself from uh, from unlimited downside potential. Mm. So good job, Mattress Mac. Mattress Mac. May you go down in history as the the mattress man. May you go down under a mattress and live there for your mattress Mac. Oh man. May he reign. <laughs> May he reign indeed. So that's our baseball news. I, I the first game of the World Series is actually being played right now. Really? Why yeah. are we here? Uh And we're back. We have a show to do. Sorry about that. Me and Henry were thinking about why we're here for a long time, and then nothing in us could leave. Yep. So, hello. Cool. So, uh, I started this episode with a comment. There's a lot of film auteurs 
How do they pronounce that word? Auteurs? There's a lot of film auteurs. Otters? There's a lot of otters out there. People who have a very specific way of doing their films. Such examples are like Woody Harrelson. That's not his name. <laughs> Woody Allen. <laughs> Woody Allen. Martin Scorsese. Stanley Kubrick. These are the auteurs. And some of them are coming out of their, their, their ancient dust-covered crypts. Because they're all old. They are all old. <laughs> to come out and for no reason at all, it seems like, bash comic book superhero Marvel movies? So, I... For context, yeah. Martin Scorsese was maybe the, the biggest name, though certainly a few people have echoed similar sentiments over the past, like, five to ten years. Uh, the argument being that, and as Martin Scorsese says it, uh, that Marvel superhero movies aren't cinema. Which is really weird, because it, it it harkens back to a conversation that I hate having. Film versus movie, or cinema versus, what, just movie? Yeah. Which is a stupid delineation to make. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was Shia LaBeouf who went on the interview YouTube show Hot Ones. Ah, the one where it's hotter questions, and even hotter questions, and even hotter questions. With Sean Evans, may that... Bald, magnificent bastard, keep living. May he reign. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the question was posed by Sean Evans to Shia LaBeouf, are memes art? And Shia LaBeouf said, absolutely. Anything that moves you is art. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of... That's what you... Yes, anything that speaks to the human experience anything that moves you as a human being maybe even like some animals i don't know i don't know what animals are capable of mm -hmm. but anything in that realm of possibility should be considered art see the the delineation to me and it, it's really frustrating because martin scorsese has said some not so great things about the state of art but maybe his definition of cinema is different from mine and maybe the difference that the, the issue that people are having with it is to imagine that by cinema he means art which from reading his sentiments you can definitely read that into yeah. it i have no idea what the fuck cinema could mean cuz i think cinema just means movie and but by definition the Marvel movies and superhero movies and all flashy, big-budget CGI fest are still movies. Yeah. You can't take that away from them. To me, if you do want to do gatekeeping about it, which, if he is using cinema to be synonymous with art, uh, the, the point about being... The problem with being gatekeeping about that is it's like being a person who says, oh, this is a painting, but this is art. Like, yeah. it's not your call to make. Anything that someone makes is art. And I think to draw distinctions within art, to, to ask, is this art, isn't ever a fruitful conversation to have. Because the, the conversation about art is just one of personal preference. And, and when it comes down to it, a delineation between art and not art adds nothing to the conversation. It just moves some goalposts. Yeah, and, and we'll never... We can never and will never codify, oh, this is art, this isn't art, this is the definition of art as defined by this. Because, no, I feel yeah. like, what's the worst movie you can think of? Uh, movie 43. Art. Yeah. Because even the worst things, even the bad things, I feel like people put art on this pedestal as being this untouchable, unimpeachable thing, but I feel like... 
people will conflate art with personal taste. Yeah. And for a lot of people who are, like, relatively educated about this stuff, they will find, like, commonalities in the things they enjoy. And sometimes if you get enough of those people in a room together in a vacuum chamber for long enough, they will think, oh, their personal tastes are what make art. And that is not true. The worst movies are. We need to make art not precious. Because art's not precious. Art's garbage. Art's piss Christ. <laughs> art's whatever. Well, here's another really great question. Uh, because, like, I think what's really at the heart of this is, like, does art necessarily have to be good? No! Exactly. Mm-mm. If you make all the wrong decisions but on purpose... You're absolutely doing something artful because you're rejecting the standards of art. Yeah. And if it happens to be bad, it doesn't matter. You're still doing something artful, something artistic. Mm-hmm. And in the end, anything artistic or artfully done is still art. Art isn't synonymous with good. Yeah. I feel like art is creative expression in pretty much all of its forms. I just feel like to... It, like. Because t- tons of people are coming out of the woodwork, because of course they are. Mm-hmm. Marvel right now is the culture. Yeah. And so there's going to be a counterculture. Yes. There always is. There's going to be people who come out and say, oh, this is popular now. Oh, I don't like it. Mark Marin did it and defended like for a month straight, just went on Twitter to be like, man, you people who like Marvel movies sure care about Marvel movies a lot. And it's like, well, yeah, because I- people are passionate about this stuff, you yeah. know? Um, but there's a, there's going, there's always going to be a counterculture to what's popular. And what happens to be popular right now is what people used to be bullied for liking. Yeah. So a lot of people are getting defensive over it. And I feel like what they feel like, if I can speak for them as a member of those people, uh, if you draw a line in the sand and, and, and negate these movies from being considered cinema, I feel like you're robbing actors, directors, writers, of being considered or being taken seriously. Yeah. And they absolutely should be taken seriously because I will repeat again. I don't know who I said this to, but the Marvel movies gave us one of the best cinematic experiences of all time in Endgame and no one could ever take that away from it. I, my take on this is maybe, uh, maybe less nuanced and less forgiving than a lot of people is that I feel like absolutely the gatekeeping for art is ridiculous. I think the gatekeeping for art is like a, it's artistic fascism yeah. to say like this has to stay out of being art because art's only what I like and, yeah. and we will defend it. We have to protect the canon. Yeah. The yeah. canon doesn't exist. The canon is bad. The, the canon is just the personal tastes of people in power. Yep. Uh, and I, I feel like trying to gatekeep art is trying to uh, kowtow to existing power structures and is like kind of fascist. Uh, however, if I were to extrapolate Martin Scorsese's words in a different way, and if he were to, if he was saying Marvel movies aren't cinema, which is to say Marvel movies are not a force for good in society or a force for good in art, I may somewhat agree with him. Why? Because the Marvel movies have allowed to exist the giant world-spanning Disney empire that we live in right now. I also feel like... That's going outside of the medium. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, some Marvel movies are bad, and some Marvel movies, 
I, I think that we, we do grade them on a curve. Yeah. Because I think that the most emotionally, and, uh, Joker opened me up to this. I'm twisted. Uh, but the most, like, politically complicated thing a Marvel movie has said won't hold a candle to most other movies. Because they're, they're by their very nature, for the most part, pretty ideologically and politically simple. And some of them, uh, kind of early Marvel movies are guilty of this, do have, like, kind of fascist, power-hungry fantasy stuff going on, which I don't think is necessarily great for society or kids to be experiencing. Uh, but I'm, I guess I'd be more open to the argument of is Marvel good for society rather than the argument of is Marvel art? Because the answer to is Marvel art is absolutely. But whether these movies have like a positive net effect on society, I'm not sure. But so if he was making that point, that's more defensible than gatekeeping art. So you're gonna rob into the Spider-Verse of all the positive things it has to say for society. No, I'm going to say well, It's that, a Marvel movie. Yeah, it's a Marvel movie, and that's not necessarily to say that each individual Marvel movie is a detriment to society, but taken as a whole, what I'm saying is, if his argument is that Marvel movies, as the as the cultural moment that they are, might not be great for society. I'm not saying that I agree with him, but I'm saying that's a more defensible position than saying Marvel movies aren't art. Because I could agree with him if he made some of those points, but I think that he's just trying to gatekeep art, so I don't think it's a defensible position. Yeah, yeah, that's not good. Uh, I forget who it was because I didn't recognize the name, but I believe he was a director who said something like, they're manufactured like hamburgers. So it's like, for him, I guess, they're like, oh, yeah, you just eat them, you enjoy them, and you move on, you feel bad about yourself later. Yeah. I disagree with that. I disagree with everything. <laughs> I I, mean, I disagree with all of it. I feel like Marvel movies have a, have a much more, like, powerful, creative voice than something that's, like, mass-produced. I do feel like Marvel movies uh, kind of happen as a force of resources rather than a force of passion. Uh, I do feel like we get like a Iron Man 3 because it makes sense financially rather than it makes sense in terms of like the actual story people want to tell. But I feel like they've done a very good job. And the only reason, one of the only reasons, primary reasons that Marvel movies have been successful is that they managed to marry those two things. They're like, this movie absolutely makes sense financially, but also we have someone who can imbue it with enough heart to make it make sense. So Iron Man 3, the uh, movie where Iron Man literally walks away from being Iron Man and the end of his standalone movies was just something that Disney was like, yeah, we want more money, even though it's the death of this franchise. It does have a literal commercial in the middle of it in the Chinese version. Okay, well, that that aside, that's that South Park episode that came out recently. Yeah. Um, yeah, Hollywood catering to the, to any specific audience with a commercial or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, should absolutely not be art. <laughs> you can't, the commercialization of art is by definition, to commercialize art is to rob art from what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, and then, that's why Space Jam, I'm sorry, not art because of the one sentence that Wayne Knight says. I think that's the actor's what name. What does Wayne Knight say? Uh, he says to Michael Jordan, he's like, okay, so get on your Nikes, eat your McDonald's, mm. do all this other stuff. You've probably seen the clip. Um, yeah. Yeah, where, where it's just like, 
Wow. Uh, was that like, I, I can only imagine in the writer's room, which there probably wasn't a writer's room because <laughs> it's a movie. It did not exist. But it's like, it's probably like a bet. Like, I bet I could, this is the most commercialized references I could make, the most plugs I could make. In a, what do they call those? What do they call when you put something into a thing? I don't know. Plugs? That's not it. And yeah, yeah. Anyway. I don't know the word we're looking for, but uh, essentially that's the argument I could see. Product Martin. placement. Product placement. There Sorry. Yeah, product uh, placement. But yeah, I, I could see Martin Scorsese making that argument, but also, yeah. like I said, I think that the thing that Marvel movies get right is that they do have heart. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you can say that they only exist, or they exist mainly to keep making that evil corporation tons of money, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, I think Kevin Feige and the individual directors and the writers, Chris McKay, are the ones I can name because I know them, uh, I think they are absolutely putting some of their heart into it, and it's not, for the most part, I would say these latter half of the movies are not just exercises in continuing a brand. I would argue that for, like, Thor... Not Thor, but maybe Thor 2. Yes. Like, there are some individual movies I can pluck out and saying they feel more... Like, Iron Man 2? Yeah. Iron Man 2. <sighs> See, the the interesting thing there is you, you run into a situation where I feel like what happened was they they were more financially motivated. And then once they had the Empire and they realized that this was a... Once they had pulled that cord enough times, the machine was not going to stop running. Yeah. They had a lot more space to tell stories like your Infinity Wars and your End Games and your Civil Wars. And that they had a lot more space to reinterpret comic book mythology into something for a new generation, do interesting things, hire interesting people, make yeah. Black Panther. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That I, there's uh, responses interpreting Martin Scorsese's uh, statement to be like, oh, he doesn't like them because they're all the same. And the rebuttal is like, well, yeah, but Martin Scorsese's y- making yet another gangster movie. Like, yeah. People tell the stories they want to tell, and that shouldn't be, a, like, shouldn't go against them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have, have quipped or, or made jokes about the Marvel formula. Mm-hmm. And some of the, and like throughout the twenty three films, but if you look at them all individually, they are all different. They all follow different arcs. There's not like one formula they face, and if there is one, that says more about the nature of storytelling than the nature of comic book movies. Yeah, there's only a couple of ways. I, I say a couple. There are many different ways to tell a story, but when you start telling variations of the same type of story, yeah, you might fall into a groove because it makes the work a little easier. Yeah. Doctor Strange is a bad movie. Doctor Strange is a fine movie. Uh, Ant-Man, though. Ant-Man's pretty good. Ant-Man I know we, the worst I, one. Look, I know I, I will always have Can my misgivings. Can you imagine how we could have had the I best know, movie? I know, I know. I will always have my misgivings that Edgar Wright and the creative differences that pulled him off that film. I absolutely get it. I'm just saying, what if we had a baby driver of the Marvel Universe? How happy would we all be? I feel like if he got Ant-Man, he wouldn't have made Baby Driver. Maybe. So I'm kind of glad we we exist in a world where Kevin Spacey gets <laughs> hit by a car and then backed over. If only he had made Ant-Man and Kevin Spacey died in that, too. <laughs> that was his original plan. That's why Disney yeah. was like, you can't kill Kevin Spacey that way. And he's like, 
I damn well can. I'm going to go make my own <laughs> make movie. a whole movie about it. I'm going to make yeah, the whole impetus of Baby Driver. Like, he's like, you know, I did that music video once. I'm just going to do that and then hit Kevin Spacey with a car and what back if, up. up what if the room. creative differences that they split over was they were like, okay, so, you know, you've been shooting some stuff uh, on location. Show us what you've got. And it just shows Kevin Spacey being hit by a car. And then it goes, Ant-Man. <laughs> Ant-Man. That's great. That's, yeah. um, there's a, there's an actor that Dan Harmon and his writers were like going to a lot who, uh, was also in The Departed. Mm-hmm. And so whenever they pitch using this actor, uh, the executives are like, well, do, does he have a reel? And they just send them a copy of The Departed. Nice. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> he has a reel. <laughs> he has the entirety of The Departed. Yeah. Anyway, all I have to say is, don't gatekeep art. You are allowed to express your opinion. Yeah. That, that, that is like something that should be said. Like, yeah, I disagree with Scorsese, but I will defend his right to say these things against these movies that I love and cherish. Yes. That being said, I'm not going to go see the Irishmen. I have no idea. The Gentlemen. No idea. What, what was the last Scorsese film? I always get him confused with Kubrick. Oh, you shouldn't do that. He didn't do The Shining. That was Kubrick. Uh, yeah, Kubrick. Also, Kubrick has not done movies. He's dead. He's dead. Scorsese, uh, was he the, the Departed? Yeah, I think he was The Departed. Okay. Yeah. The Departed. He also movie. did Bringing Up the Bodies, Bringing Up the Dead. Mm. It was a really good movie. I don't know. We'll talk about Scorsese later. Is he uh, like a Franz Ford Coppola type? Yeah, kinda. Okay, kinda. Yeah, More lo- crimey. A lot, a lot of men whispering in dark lit rooms. Yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, a lot I of mean, smoking a lot of dark rooms. A lot of smoking, a lot of dark rooms. Yeah, but Scorsese. I think Scorsese is good. He's just jealous that he can't use a brighter color, color palette. He basically made the Joker, so credit that one to him. No, that was uh that was our guest of honor, Todd Phillips. Yes, whose movie we enjoyed quite a bit. Yeah, but who has a person I do not understand. Maybe we just have to treat Scorsese films. Oh, he did Hugo. Hugo actually, he was actually pretty colorful. He did Hugo, a movie about protecting the sanctity and history of movies. I mean, so maybe Yay. he's got like a personal vendetta against these Marvel movies. Maybe he does, but Hugo. Um, yeah, I don't know. Weaving? Yeah, sure. Wasn't a Marvel movie. He was. He yeah. was Elrond. Yeah, he was Elrond the Elrond Hubbard. <sighs> Let's name a movie we don't think is art. You know, as a fun counterexample of, of what not of to what do. Literally, we just... Wait, hold on. Yeah. Do we mean something that we genuinely think is not art or something that we want to not be art? Well, I don't know. Like, if I put you on the spot... Okay, here's a, here's a what if. You're walking through a dark, crystalline forest. Okay. And the winds are whipping, the storms are, are, are storming, and all of a sudden a corpse lunges at you and, like, kind of croaks out, Dad, what movie's not art? Oh, this is crazy that you bring this up because this is the same thing happened to me. I might be reading your past. Uh, and I said Human Centipede. Oh, good one. I feel like that that's a very yeah. It's it's tough to say because I don't think that human centipede's not art because it's grotesque. I think yeah. art can absolutely be grotesque. Well, yeah. But I think that human centipede was 
was made largely without a desire to express oneself creatively and more out of a desire to be unnecessarily, like, shocking and gross. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know that I'd call human centipede art. Okay. Which, I mean, premise is great. So some mouths to butts you got it going on. But isn't that the whole movie? Uh, th- is there a plot? There is absolutely a plot to Human Centipede. It is uh, nonsensical. There's a lot of much grosser stuff that happens in Human Centipede other than that stuff. I don't need to know it. I don't. I don't need to know it. It, it was just a movie that was meant to shock and upset people. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess if it was meant to make people feel something, I guess it's art. Fuck. What? Yeah, I mean... Uh, that this is why this was a fun little counter, yeah, counter example of what yours. I can't think of one which is not fair to you. Oh no, um, it's not Ant Man. The Room, Tommy Wiseau, yeah. or just Room? Not just Room. I think Room absolutely was our our Room was very good. We we reviewed that. Check out crew reviews on YouTube. <laughs> sure. Uh, we have, we did do that. We looked different then. Uh, I look the same. <laughs> I like to believe. Uh, sure. I don't know. Uh, Birdageddon? What? I think it's called Birdageddon? Bird Apocalypse? No. No. Maybe it's not called Birdageddon. Birdemic. Birdemic. Maybe Birdemic 2? I've never seen Birdemic 2. A fun little story. My high school soccer captain is in that movie. Really? Under a different name. That's amazing. We have to watch it and see him. It is, and I I want to stress this, bad. Okay. But that doesn't mean it's, that's not why it's not art. It's not art because it's very tone deaf. Oh, nice. Uh, The original Birdemic is a fun romp. I like the original Birdemic because at least at the end of the day, there was a message. Yeah. Birds. Economics, environmentalism. Yeah. Just like the happening. Plants. Trees. (gasps) I did not kill her. Wait, no. I did not. Uh, Same accent, though. Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg acts his ass off in that movie. Oh, I I don't like to feel good about him. Neither do I. He also doesn't act his ass off. He does a really piss poor job in The Happening. I don't like Mark Wahlberg. Look, just because someone beats someone until they went blind, maybe for racial reasons, allegedly, allegedly Mark Wahlberger, don't come after us. He's one of those people that people always point to, like on Reddit, because of course... (laughs) He's one of those people that people people always point to and say, he beat that guy until he went blind for racial reasons. It's actually the opposite. Like, he comes up on Reddit as like, oh, isn't it good that people can, like, be redeemed and, like, be forgiven? I'm like... But he's not. But he's not That's forgiven. like saying, isn't that good Chris Brown could be forgiven? Because mm. no, he shouldn't be. He can be forgiven by individuals. He will never be forgiven by me or the facts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the victim may have forgiven them, but that doesn't mean I have to, and I never will. Forgiveness is easy. Redemption, almost impossible. Yeah. The, the entirety of society could redeem a monster like Kevin Spacey, could forgive a monster like Kevin Spacey, but they cannot redeem him. For only one person can redeem him, and that is the MLB. Our sponsors want us to say that 
Stop talking about problematic men. Well, that's not going to happen soon. Wait, hold on. The message continues. Take me out to the ball game. 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 Give me some peanuts and take me out to the ball game. That's right, the MLB, Man League Bat, the only league with a bat and a man. They are beat, they have beaten cricket. Uh, I'm gonna give us uh, a little score update. Uh, let's see what's happening right now with the World Series, which we are sponsored by, Man League Bat. And uh, right now, uh, Chaos is winning. As we predicted, I put in a lot of bets for chaos. A lot of bats for a chaos. Lot of bats a lot for of chaos. bats. A hot dog man. Hot dog man. Hot. Wait, hold on. Is that a new... hot dog we man? Say hot dog man. Hot dog man. Hot dog man. Get your hot dog man here. Get your hot dog man here. I should have never taken him up on that offer of a hot dog man. Got them hot dog man here. Get the hot dog man here. Now, one thing that I never understood about baseball was where do they go? Yeah. When they go, when we fall asleep, where do we go? (laughs) You know, uh, when I was a young lad uh, in the hills of Scotland, which I've never been to, uh, when the sun would go away, I would ask my, my, my dear mummy, where did the sun go? And now that I'm a full-grown American, I have the same question. When baseball go away, where go? Where go to? Where go baseball? Where go baseball? Now go, go, good, go, go, good, go, go, baseball, good, good, go, 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 good baseball. Which, thank you, MLB, and once again, the MLB slogan is... Go, go, good, go, 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 baseball, good, good, go, 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 good. That's right, thank you, MLB. Now, this is a real story. Oh. Let me tell you about it. What? I went to a restaurant. Holy sh... Everybody be quiet. I went to a restaurant. They can hear you breathing. (laughs) I went to a restaurant, and we were enjoying a fine beer supper, as you do. Oh, this was a restaurant that served the beer. This was one of the two restaurants in the area that serves beer. So you had a regular sipper supper, as I like to say in college. Yeah, I had a super siper. And I was sitting at the table drinking my beer. And the main draw of this restaurant is that you can see the sunset over beautiful Texas hill country. Lake Austin, if you will. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what? not what it's called. It's called Lake Travis. <laughs> Lake Travis, if you will. But you can watch the sunset over beautiful Texas Hill Country. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, really great, really beautiful. And you almost never get to see a sunset that's like that full, unless you're like on the water and you see the sunset at the horizon. I'm a big sunset guy. Hmm. I think sunsets are like one of the most beautiful, varied forms of, I guess, art. That's a weird one. We won't get into that. Is nature art? I don't think it is. <laughs> Fuck you, nature. Uh, but it's one of those. It's one of the most beautiful things you can see, and you can see it every day, most of the time. And it's free. It's free. Oh, and you know when it's happening every day. You just look it up. Look on your phone. Type in sunset, 
And it'll tell you. It actually mm. will if you put in sunset. I know. Read your location. Uh, but we saw the sunset, and while I was drinking my beer, uh, a woman came up behind me, and this woman was holding a child. And this woman, let me tell you, this child, very young, baby-sized. This, she was holding it up to the sun. No, uh, she was throwing it in the water. She was holding it, you know, regular, like, shotgun style, like, like you would a baby. Uh, but the baby was like a toddler, and it said, oh, the moon, the moon. And it was looking at the sun? It was looking at the sun. What an idiot. <laughs> and the, the woman, I presume, uh, this child's mother, said, oh, no, that's the sun. And this uh, this woman was clearly very progressive, covered in tattoos, nice. colored hair, alternative dress, you know, a, a real product of our generation. And our city. And our city. And was holding this child, and the child said... The child went, ooh, red, right? Because the sun turns red as it gets Yeah, yeah, it does. And the cool thing about seeing a sunset, like when you can see the horizon, is you see the gradient of red take over the sun slowly over time. He said, ooh, red. To which the woman replied, uh, so the sun's yellow in the sky, but as it gets lower and lower, it turns red because of all of the dust in our atmosphere. It changes the way that the light rays are reflected. So it looked yellow up there, and it looked red down there. And then the child said, why? And she said, well, because your eye just perceives certain signals. A lot of animals see more colors than we do, but we only see a limited hue. So a dog might see a totally different color than you do. But it's all light reflecting off of things. And the child went, okay. And I've never oh been more God. jealous of a child in my whole life. Man, that mom's coming out swinging. We were raised by liars. Oh, yeah. We were raised by liars and nincompoops. But now we, a generation with the entirety of human knowledge at our fingertips, could impart incredible wisdoms onto our children at a moment's notice. Yeah. If I had grown up knowing that the sun changes color because of, like, dust in the atmosphere, uh, which I don't necessarily think that's a hundred... It is dust. Dust does change the color of it. Yeah. But I also think the red shift is slightly different because when we see the sunset, it's actually... The rays from the sun are... are They're bending. They're bending around the earth. That too. Which is changing the color. And the it. earth is round. Yeah. The earth is round, I believe. I, also, I think it's a donut. I think it's I think it's a faith thing. That it's round? Yeah. You have to believe it? You gotta take it on faith. I don't believe anything I don't see. And I see a donut. Okay. It's a toroid. Uh but I I think about that now granted, I only went two days ago, but I think on that often. Yeah. That Well here here's the thing, John. What stopped our parents from being that parent? I don't know. When I was growing up. I was curious. I think a lot of kids, 100% of kids, are curious. Yeah. It's one, one way or another. And, like, I would get stuck in these loops of asking why. You know, you see this on television portrayed. Yes. Like, a parent gives an answer and a kid keeps saying why because we just want to understand. Yeah, we're thirsty for knowledge. And the thing is, I didn't get answers, like, because of the dust particles, the sun looks a different way and because it's all light being reflected and animals might see it. I didn't, I didn't get that. What I got was like, why? Like, because that's the way it is. Yeah. Well, but why? Uh, because, and like, a lot of the times the end message was, 
because that's the way God made it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that doesn't answer my question. <laughs> it doesn't answer my question. It just gives me more questions My question was then, like, so why did God make it that way? And that's an impossible and question And that just became like, oh, we can't understand, you know, the nature. You can't understand his thinking. So why can't we understand it? Like, it just led to more questions. If I got answers like that, I would, yeah. I would have, you know... Yeah, I would be sated, because that's a lot of information. But it also doesn't brook argument. Yeah. Because it's just the fact. Much like everything in life can just be what the fact is. And, and honestly, I'm a kid, so if you would have made something up, but if you would have talked, if like your answer was that long, I would be sated. Yeah. It was all these, these short little responses because you're you're a kid, a, you know when people are bullshitting you. Yeah, it was like, well, I, you know, I'm a kid. My the extent of my conversation is, I don't understand this. Will you understand it? Some for will you explain it to me? And I express that the quickest way possible. Why? Yeah, please tell me. I'm curious. And I I think about that because I was in a very similar position. Because my parents typically, uh, for my childlike curiosity, would say, "Oh, because God." Yeah. And then it was difficult for me when my parents eventually, like, came out to me as atheists and didn't believe in anything. And I was like, so with all the stuff you Wait, told what? me... that they, they used God as their example? What? They they gave God as examples when I was a kid because we were in church. But they put me in church uh, largely for structure. Mm. My parents were Catholic, but they don't believe in God. They don't believe in That's any insane. of that. insane. Yeah. Church what? was like structure for me. What an insane way to raise a kid... <laughs> I, wait, that's really mean for me to say. I'm, I'm, and it, it is insane. I think that if you don't believe in something, don't put your kid in it. Yeah. Uh, but they were just like barely practicing Catholics, but they weren't 100% sold. Gotcha. And then when I was like 12, they were like, hey, just so you know, we don't go to church all the time because like we don't really believe in it. And there's a lot of like uncertainty. I'm like, so everything you've told me for answers yeah. you don't have, there's you, there's just nothing. Like you, you just didn't tell me anything, which I wasn't furious about. Yeah, it just made me feel like God. I wasted all those years all of my life time. potentially learning answers, and you gave me a cop out that you didn't even believe in. Damn. One of the more mind blowing things I learned in high school of all places from our bi- biology honors teacher is that, uh, and also it was backed up weirdly by our our AP history teacher. Is that faith and science can coexist. They can't disprove one another, so there's no reason to learn, but no reason to not learn both. Yeah. And I was like, I could have been doing that the whole time. I could have learned science. I, I just have the religious answers, which is just, you know, because God. Because God. But like, science answers how it works, not why it works. Yeah. Why just tell me how the things work? That's all I wanted. Yeah. All I wanted to know was the science answers. All I, that's why kids love like Mr. Wizard and Bill Nye. Yeah. Cause they tell you shit they like explain, it is. And to a certain extent, Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers would explain how and why things happen that went and he was a presbyterian minister yeah and his answer was never because god it he never brought faith into it even when he's explaining something difficult like death or poverty yeah mr rogers definition of poverty is like some people are unlucky some people have been taken advantage of some people just aren't born with as much as you do mm-hmm. so they have like a longer runway before they can take off i not i model my faith after mr rogers which is which is to say, I barely mention God. Yeah. And I have wear my, a lot of sweaters. And I, well, I wish. We live in Texas. Yeah, you're right. I do wear a jacket every day, but that's 
Macely. Macely. That's mainly because I hate my job. No. Ah. Uh, but yeah, I I think about That's that. That's amazing. Over the last two days, I've been thinking about that a lot. And it's... It takes a lot for me to say this, but it's like the one thing that's happened to me in the last like two years that makes me think, like, maybe I should have kids. The answer's no. But yeah. if I did, I'd tell them the straight dope. It's nice to know that if you did have a kid, you would... Teach them to be a straight shooter by giving them straight answers. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I mean, yeah, that doesn't... You can acquire skills and knowledge without applying them, so... Yeah. That doesn't mean... Yeah. I wonder how a kid would take it if you told them you don't know. I think that's appropriate. I think that's fine, because you don't have to be an expert, because God knows you're not. John Mulaney has a really great bit about, like, being a kid in school. It's like you're a kid. It should absolutely be acceptable to say, I don't know. Yeah. Because you're a kid. Yes. And, and like, not knowing things, no one knows everything. But when you're going through school as a kid, you get this weird impression that you have to know this stuff. Yeah. This is stuff that everyone knows. And so you need to know it, too. Yeah. But an absolutely acceptable thing to do in most jobs, including doctors, is to Google shit. So there's there's two things that really were the two biggest moments in my life. And they were two self-realizations. Number one, one came before the other. The first was to realize that trouble is a made-up idea. Trouble is just someone is, like, upset with you. The only real trouble you're ever in is the ones that are, like, enforceable by society writ large where you get thrown in prison. But, like, being in trouble with someone means nothing. Yeah. Like, being in trouble with your parents means your parents are mad at you. Like, they're not going to kill you. They came really close. (laughs) In the worst case scenario, you could, like, become homeless, I guess. But trouble's largely a made-up idea. I would argue that that doesn't apply to everyone, because there are abusive households where parents physically abuse children. Yeah, but I mean, this is something that I realized as an adult. I'm just saying maybe trouble exists for people in abusive situations. I'm just saying, as an adult, trouble is not a thing. Once you reach adulthood, once you reach the point where you are independent... You're not relying on anyone else for your survival. Yeah. Except hopefully your significant other because God knows I can't keep this mound of flesh going. Yeah. It's like trouble is not really real. Yeah. If my boss... People can be mad at you, but the concept of trouble being like this existentially troubling thing, that's not real. Like you can fix things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if my boss is mad at me, my response... The next time my boss gets mad at me, my response is literally going to be... So fire me. Yeah. It's like... like, Because I know he won't. Yeah. It's like, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's like, well, fire me. It's like, and if you do, I guess this is one less thing I have to put up with. And yeah, there'll be more things I have to put up with. I'll have to find a new job for sure. But But this won't be one of them anymore. This, yeah. You're actually going to do me a fucking favor. Do it! I dare you! I want you to fire me! It's it's Joker when he, the Batman is charging at him with his motorcycle. Oh, I see. Yeah. The, uh, the only other thing that I realized, I've realized two things in my life. Uh, the second thing I realized is the power of just being like, hey bro, I don't know. Yeah. It's such a powerful thing and it took me until my 20s to figure out you could do that. Yeah. Because Espe- people can ask you a question like, I don't know the answer to that. Especially in your job. 
Yeah. Because, like, yeah, my boss will ask me, I thought this was, uh, I, you know, where are we on this? And I'll say, I don't know, because I've been working on other things. And he'll be like, all right, well, check up on that and get back to me. Yeah. Boom. End of story. Because you you don't have to have an answer for everything. Mm-hmm. It really helps to realize that. And no one has an answer. We're not all... I was going to say Ken Jennings, but I feel like there's another Jeopardy player. I he got eliminated saying. recently, whatever that guy's name is. The Beast. Yeah. I remember his Chloe nickname. Jones. Uh, Beast of No Nation. Yes. Beast with many backs. Ooh, that's about sex. Is it? Yeah. Jeopardy's not about sex. Oh, I, the Beast with two backs mm. is about sex. Because of the rising and falling of the act. The rising and falling of the backs. Yeah. Uh, actually, exactly, yes. But, uh, no, I... Yeah, I don't know. He's gone, whoever he was. Well, I'm glad you had that nice experience at uh, the restaurant. You don't want to name the restaurant? No. Keep it a secret. In a, in a place... Keep it a secret. In a place full of restaurants that are somewhat pretty, that are packed with people all yeah. the time, this one is not extremely packed, and I want to keep it kind of a secret. So it's the Chili's on uh, 45th yes. and Lamar. 45th and Lamar Chili's. The Please, sh- shout out Beautiful to- sunsets. Shout out to a real one. Take a pick for the pod. Frosty Margs. Yeah. The Chili's on 45th and Lamar. Absolutely the most best-kept secret in Austin. Absolutely. Take a pic for the pod. Take a pic from that Chili's. Take a pic from the pod. Oh, we actually got, like, some pictures. Uh, two week, two weeks ago. What? They were sent to our, 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 our Facebook chat. Not the zero credits <laughs> one. Our oh, personal shit, you're one. right. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, Eric and First met up in real life and sent us some pictures. And Very it was really great. Very, Very great. I wish this was an audience. Eh, I wouldn't want to give out their faces. I was going to say, I wish this wasn't audio, but it exists. Yeah, it exists. Yeah. It's great. I like it when our fan come together. (laughs) I like it when our fan come together. Love it when a fan comes together. That's why I said it that way. A-team. John, a lot has happened in these past five months. Whoa. Six, five to six weeks where every single episode we've mentioned the Joker movie. Mm. And one of those things that happened was Todd Phillips, the director, came out and said, It's hard to do comedy in this woke culture. He did, he did. So, AV News, which is... Adult uh, Video News? No, AV Club. You know the AV Club? Adult Video Club? I think it's Audio Video? Oh, AV Club. Yeah. So, AV News, which is a, a subsidiary to Dirty. <laughs> subsidiary. <laughs> oh, it's about sex. <laughs> uh, a branching thing of uh, AV Club. Uh, this is Randall Colburn wrote an article. Nick Kroll, famous comedian, on making comedy in a woke culture. You could still do and say some pretty crazy wild shit. I mean, Nick Kroll's been doing it his whole career. And uh, so... I just wanted to read some choice bits from uh, this this article. Uh, just as our president loves to conjure an alternative reality where people aren't allowed to say Merry Christmas, some comedians like to say they can't make jokes anymore because of this dang woke culture. Joker director Todd Phillips became the poster boy for this argument recently when the wild successfully director of the Hangover trilogy 
said he pivoted away from comedies because he's just too irreverent for this woke age. Mm. Joker actor and comedian Mark Marin already called bullshit, saying, The only thing that's off the table currently at this juncture, and not even entirely, is shamelessly punching down for the sheer joy of hurting people. Wow, Mark Marin, that's a really good take. That's, that's, that's a really good take. I gave Mark Marin shit earlier. Mark Marin is a really interesting person. He is. Come on the pod. Uh, but also, fuck him and his podcast. That's it. The beef is back on WTF with Mark Marin, enemy of the podcast. The beef is back on the grill and meets back on the menu, boys. Ah, tonight we dine in hell. Did the Orakai have a menu? Okay, there have been so many things about that line. <laughs> Because it, it does suggest that, one, restaurants exist, that, two, there are menus in those restaurants, and, three, that orcs, orakai, know of these restaurants with menus. But also that they haven't had meat. Which is wrong, because look at how swole they are. They're obviously <laughs> eating meat. Or they're eating a lot of whey proteins. <laughs> Little just, known fact. They're just slamming whey protein, <laughs> lifting weights, <laughs> lifting weirdly square weights. The orakai until that moment, were completely vegan. <laughs> it's amazing. They were getting it all from chickpeas. Yeah, chickpeas and uh, and some uh, protein supplements, Limbus bread or whatever. Now, comedian and big mouth co-creator Nick Kroll has shared some thoughts on the topic. The likes of which carry additional weight considering his series just came under fire for its handling of a pansexual character and some irresponsible, ill-informed jokes about those in bi the bisexual and trans communities. Kroll's colleague, Andrew Goldberg, admitted he and the writers missed the mark and a sincere apology, capping it with a thank you to the trans, pan, and bi communities for further opening our eyes to these important and complicated issues of representation we are listening, and we look forward to delving into this in future seasons. Well, that's that's a shame. Yeah, I mean, the Big Mouth thing, if you watch clips of it, it did suck. Uh, I have watched up until the current season. I have not seen the current season. Uh, in a word, or in like a brief summary, what, what exactly did they do? So there's a new character introduced, I believe, played by Ali Wong. Okay. Who was introduced to the class as being pansexual. And I, I forget what metaphor they use. I think they said like hot dogs and sandwiches. Because she says, oh, I'm pansexual. And they're like, oh, is that like a bisexual? She's like, no, like, if you, if you think of it like, Straight people only like sandwiches, and gay people only like hot dogs, and bisexual people like sandwiches and hot dogs, pansexual people like a sandwich that was born as a hot dog, or a hot dog that's transitioning to a sandwich. They made, like, a lot of weird metaphors to, like, okay. trans and non-binary people as it pertains to being sexual objects to people who are pansexual. Yeah. It really sucked. The writing for it sucked. I'm not a huge Big Mouth fan. I love me some Nick Kroll and some John Mulaney. Though, I, but. As much as I've watched Big Mouth, I think that's a show that absolutely could benefit from a perspective of not Nick Kroll or any of the writers. Like, Hard agree. Bring in... like Because obviously you tried your best and you missed the mark. Yeah. So now you have to admit, you don't know what the mark is. Bring in... Yeah. A pansexual writer. Yeah. To fill in the gaps. Or just like a woman. <laughs> well, I feel like there might be a woman or two in the writing room. There might be, but we don't, have not heard about them. 
Uh, writing rooms are huge. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I'm just saying, yeah. like, the, the perspective on that, the optics on that sucked. Uh, but I'm glad that they're mentioning they're it in, the, in this article. And I do believe that they will absolutely try harder going forward. It's just, you know, it's, it's always a shame when someone misses the mark the first time. But the horrible thing about missing the mark the first time is not hitting the mark again on a second yes. try. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully they learn and they get it, they get it good. They get good at it. I'm going to continue reading this article. A crawl echoed Echoed Goldberg during a recent episode of the Last Laugh podcast, indirectly mentioning the Big Mouth controversy. Everybody approaches comedy, this is a quote, quote, everybody approaches comedy differently and has different objectives and opinions inside of it, he said, and we don't always get it exactly right, and there are people who are not always thrilled about how we are spanking, speaking about an issue. I'm of the opinion personally we have this ability to listen and communicate with the audience and hear what they have to say. And sometimes I'm like, I don't agree with you. And other times I'm like, yeah, I hear you. We didn't get that exactly right. We'll do better. Blah, blah. He continued, I'm here to evolve and adapt. And everybody goes and makes their own art and however they want to do it. God bless them. And if they stop making it because it's not the way they want to do it anymore, go ahead. What does this have to do? Okay, finally. It's a trick quote. It's a trickier time, and also we have a show where a boy sends a dick pic to his cousin that he made out with. You can still do and say some pretty crazy, wild shit, and that's the end of the article. Oh, nice. So it sounds like this was a podcast that the uh, writer of this article listened to and then extrapolated to the Todd Phillips thing. Yeah. I was I was excited thinking it was maybe an I thought it was concerning the Todd Phillips thing, but... I thought it, yeah, I thought it was, exi- yeah, that's when I found the article without reading it beforehand, because that's how I do my my research, uh, I thought ex- exactly that he was commenting on the Todd Phillips thing, but instead it was all about this apparent controversy with his show, uh, Big Mouth. Who does the Last Laugh podcast? No idea. It's what a daily... Shane Gillis. It's a Daily Beast podcast. I feel like that's like a political... Is that that's a... Not, yeah, I don't know. Sounds I like feel it. like I heard about that on House of Cards. Daily Beast? Yeah. Wow, what a problematic show you were watching. I don't know. Was or that maybe before it was called... or after Kevin Spacey was hit by that car? It was before. Okay, shame. Uh, I think Daily Beast is a, is a rag. It's a Daily Beast. I don't know. It's a Daily Beast. That's the nickname of the Jeopardy guy. Oh, yeah. The Daily Beast. Anyway, I thought Time that... for the Daily Double. <laughs> I thought that was... that was the sound the Daily Double made. It's like, bah, 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 bah. Oh, that's... I said the same thing. Yeah, okay. Bah, 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 bah. Bah. <laughs> okay, fine. Agree I to that, disagree. I thought that article was going to lead to a more uh, nuanced discussion about comedy, uh, but it seems like exactly what you said. He listened to the last laugh. Put it into context of the Todd Phillips thing, because that was literally said two weeks ago. Um, I think it's a very interesting time we live in, but I think absolutely you can still... As long as... There there was a quote in there that I agreed with. As long as you're not punching down for the sheer enjoyment of hurting someone, you can do comedy. It's absolutely possible. I feel like you can do... 
fucking... There's a lot to make fun of. Anyone who argues that you can't make comedy because of this woke culture, you should be wary of that person because comedy does continue to get away with insane shit. Yeah. Because the bar is so low. Like, the bar... The the bar is exists right now is people uh, fighting against people like Louis C.K. Yeah. For actual, like, sexual assault and harassment. But it's also against people who are making their art, like Dave Chappelle, who make awful tone-deaf jokes at the expense of trans people. Like, the bar is tremendously low, and sure, it used to be lower. I think back in the 90s, you could probably get on stage with, like, fake buck teeth and squinty eyes and make Chinese people jokes. I mean, Breakfast at Tiffany's absolutely did that. Comedy used to be in a very gross place for a very long period of time, and slowly it's growing. And you know what's great about comedy? Consistently, throughout time, people have had the same argument about comedy, which is, you can't make jokes because of this political correctness. People were saying that in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and today. Comedy has still existed. It constantly changes. The goalposts are moving because we as a society are becoming more accepting. Comedy has not become less funny. Comedy has not become less mainstream. In fact, comedy is now... Especially, like, stand-up comedy is now one of, like, pillars of American entertainment. Yeah. Comedy... I've got examples to point to. Look at one of my favorite comedians and hopefully one day a guest of this podcast, John Mulaney. Look at Jim Gaffigan, who, yes, does a lot of dad humor, but it's still humor. Yeah. Look at Dimitri Martin, who had to stop touring this year because of health issues, but is still a a stand-up in his own right. I am very upset that I did have tickets to Dimitri Martin in Austin, and I could not go. He, his doctor literally told him, if you continue to do this, you're going to hurt yourself. I've just never seen him live, and I wanted to, but I get it. I I totally support him. Dimitri Martin in high school was one of my favorite comedians, and as I've grown, I've kind of grown out of him. But uh, I still appreciate what he does, which is absolutely just one-liners, sketch gigs, and songs. Which is, look, he found what he's good at, and he does it. Yeah. And the whole thing, he doesn't punch in any direction, which I think is very admirable. But, I mean, look at your... You can have your 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 paramounts of what comedy can be in not punching down in, like, a Mike Birbiglia. Oh, yeah. Like, Mike Birbiglia is a world-class storyteller, improviser. He does a great job. And I don't think that you could really look at any of his stand-up specials as being offensive, right? Pretty much, for the most part. For the most part. But if you... He plays a weird creep in, uh... Uh... That improv movie. Oh, Don't Think Twice or Don't whatever. Think Twice. Yeah, he, he plays kind of a creep in that. Yeah, but he's making fun of himself as an improv teacher being a 35-year-old who sleeps with 19-year-olds. Uh, because they're trying wow. to ident- they're trying to identify that improv teachers are creeps, and they're right. Brag uh, more, Mike. Burbliblia. Uh But one thing to look at as well is like someone who's like kind of on the opposite side of that, like a Tom Segura. That name is severely familiar tom segura makes jokes that are absolutely on the line uh that are like racial and they're still good and they're not punching down for the most part uh and i think that tom segura is good but i mean if we're constantly looking at the goalposts moving oh that guy consistently throughout time you know the only comics who have been chewed up and spit out by the political correctness machine in comedy is people who are cruel yeah 
The only people that we do not look on fondly in comedy are people who are either hack or people who are cruel. Yeah. And at least hacks go on to a place of ironic appreciation like Gallagher, even though Gallagher had some, some weird political stuff. Uh, but then you look at the people who are just cruel, like a lot of, a lot of 90s and early 2000s stand-ups who just told jokes about disabled people, about oh. trans people, about people oh, who are non-gender conforming. Carlos Mencia? Yeah. The whole dirt to dirt thing? Yep. That's horrible. So there are a lot of people who have like gone by the- He had a show on Comedy Central. You know what might have been Sia? The problem with this like moving of the goalposts and people saying that it's a bad thing is that comedy is... I don't want to say that comedy is special, but comedy is special because it elicits a reaction that few people understand, which is the reaction of laughter. The reaction of laughter can be created by saying something that's uncomfortable, but mostly it comes from saying something that's surprising. Yeah, surprising that tickles the brain in the same way that you yourself could be tickled. Yeah, they, it tickles the brain because you go, ha because it connects two things. Yeah, it connects two otherwise un- unassociated syna- syn- synapses. Syn- yeah. Syn- syn- sinuses. And, and we laugh and it releases endorphins because humans love to learn. And people mistook. There was, I think in early 90s, throughout the 90s, there was this weird shock and awe humor. Yeah. That got really popular um, because it's like, oh, I'm sorry I offended you, but I'm just saying what we're all thinking. Yeah. And there was a time period for that, and it died. That time is over. What about Joe Rogan, hashtag triggered? I don't know who Joe Rogan is. Uh, but I mean, the, the reason why people laugh at things like that, I believe, for at shock humor. Yeah. Because shock humor, typically speaking, is only shocking because it's cruel. What's and his people, name? People laugh at cruel humor because it connects the neurons between... Daniel Tosh. Daniel Tosh definitely did do that as well. But basically, it took a neuron where you were like, this is like a preconceived negative notion that I have from my upbringing, an assumption based on like bigotry or racism or xenophobia. Yeah. And then this neuron is saying that stuff publicly. And when those two things touch, we laugh. Because, oh, he's saying the things we're all secretly thinking because of our upbringing upbringing but yeah. at the same time we shouldn't say it because they're wrong and mean they're absolutely wrong we should get the fuck over them and have new thoughts but that's why people laughed at them and they considered that to be successful comedy because successful comedy is make people laugh enough that they continue to buy your tickets and yeah the, the metric of comedy the only metric of success is laughter and i feel like comedy is unique because you can't have a drama like that really no no you can't like you can't elicit uh, a re- a relatively simple human emotion like sadness by like punching down and being exceptionally cruel. Comedy does that because comedy is a totally different comedy is like a a, a a poor like brain adaptation. Laughter is an evolutionary mistake. Yeah. In that we love it so much. So and we reward it. And comedy is something that exists on the edge of perception because it has to. Like comedy has to tickle you at the very fringes where you haven't formed these ideas yet. Yeah. But you have two schools of comedy. Cruel people, which will be left behind, and innovative people, which will be remembered or forgotten. Yeah. But not reviled. And everyone who has ever said that comedy is like PC culture run amok and they can't make jokes anymore, they are cruel people. And they're wrong. Yeah. There's a there's a person who toes the line both ways very very carefully, and that's Bill Burr. Yes, who I absolutely respect as a, as a comic, but at the same time, it's like 
he presents himself one way, but if you actually listen to what he's saying, he's like on the same side as the like what he calls the progressives. Yeah. He absolutely has progressive ideals, but he completely acts like a one of those comics who is like you know, cruel and punching down. He's really he he's a weird case study. He is. But also even his stand up he will uh he will stand up for good things. I and like I so it's like you it's not even a personality thing. Yeah. Because I would lump Bill Burr in with like a Tom Segura, like he is abrasive. Yeah. He is blunt. He has no time for your bullshit, and he'll call you out on PC, you know, culture bullshit stuff. But at the same time, he's got the same <laughs> like he's got the attitude and that like that weird like abrasive personality. But he still has this like he he still is like no I'm not you know I'm gonna call it as it is yeah you shouldn't punch down it's not it's not what you do that's Bill, stupid Bill Bilber is great because he could be like I just want to go to a coffee shop and get my coffee I feel like I'm the last person on earth who drinks black coffee can I just get my black coffee and my single payer health care yeah like yeah he's like he's, he's he's like a boomer but with like <laughs> with, with with millennial tendencies yeah like he just wants single payer health care and for people to stop being like panty wastes or whatever yeah which he, just, he wants everyone to toughen up but at the same time he's not going to go out and attack people which is the that's a a portion of comedy that i still find myself struggling with understanding i guess is the parts of comedy that do seek to call it like pc culture bullshit in that there is genuinely some yeah. in a very limited capacity, but there is some, like... There's a tendency to overdo it. Yes. Because, as with all things, there are extremes. Yeah, because there's some, like, outrage cancel culture stuff that you could make jokes about. Yeah. Well, you could absolutely make fun of cancel culture right now because it has gotten to a weird fever pitch where maybe someone's getting canceled that doesn't deserve it, and the real truth of it is, like, the, you can't know both sides. Yeah. A weird thing, and we made fun of Pro Jared, mm -hmm. and then like a month later, Pro Jared came out with a video with like evidence that might have suggested that there was another side of the story. And where I landed personally was, I don't really fucking care. Yeah, no. <laughs> but like, it illustrated to me the point where it's like, okay, so I these are both technically untrusted sources. I liked one because one came out first. But that's not fair to the other. Yes. And so I can't know both sides. And also, this isn't a court of law, so the truth might never be known. Absolutely. I. The only thing that I take away from Pro Jared is, number one, the funniest thing to me right now is anything dealing with a wife. I think that, yeah. I think that wives are very funny. Uh, and the fact they blocked his wife on Twitter is hilarious to me. Pre-divorce, just blocking his wife. So good. Uh, reach out and block wife. Reach out and block wife. So good. Stop emailing my wife. <laughs> I, I want to make a, this comment because I had this thought in my head earlier. If you say, like, comedy's hard to do right now, there's one avenue that is absolutely always available to you and is my favorite form of comedy. Absurdity. Yes. It's never out of the question because it punches nowhere. Yes. Except that life. It punches itself in the face. Uh, there, there's a sketch that I, I wrote, or I, I say I wrote it because it largely was my idea, and then, uh, I wasn't available for the execution of it. Mm -hmm. You're the star of it. 
Oh yeah, but that it's sucked. the 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 what it, what do you mean sketch? Yes, and that, that's a sketch I absolutely like developed and pitched and like gave to Michael. And like, all you got to do is credit me as a writer. That's the one thing you guys didn't fucking do. I had, <laughs> I was not part of that conversation. I, I understand, but yeah, absolutely. Like absurdity is always funny. Remember a genie sketch? Uh, I pitched this to you and I wrote it out and I don't think I ever shared the write out with you, Mm -hmm. but basically three men are on an island or three people. It doesn't have to be men. I don't care. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I I don't care about the gender, but like they wish for various things. The gene just makes them blind. Yes. I mean, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, absurdity will, I think always be funny. We can take this to a real life example. Absurd comedy is the hardest comedy to do because to free associate is uh, to enter a state of brain death like that is one of the hardest things to do. It's what, it's what Faulkner did in his writing, you know, this weird stream of consciousness, but still associated with some themes. Yeah. It's a really hard thing to pull off. But at the same time, stupid, absurd humor is my lifeblood. And, and that's why it becomes easier to, and, and fun to, write absurd comedy when you're under the influence of things. Because you you stop, your brain loses the necessity of making connections. A great example of this is a David S. Pumpkins. Oh, yeah, David S. Pumpkins David is S. so good. David S. Pumpkins is David-esque. <laughs> David S. Pumpkins is a really good example of modern absurdist humor because it has no point... Yeah. All it required was uh, two skeleton costumes and a jack-o'-lantern suit from, like, Spirit Halloween and Tom Hanks. Yeah. And it has no point. It goes nowhere. The joke is that it exists. Yes. Absurdist comedy is great because absurdist comedy doesn't have punchlines. Absurdist comedy is just an absurd situation. So good. It's it's crafting a reality that exists purely of itself. And the one thing that I will say is absurdist comedy always rejects a sequel. Yeah. Which means it's not marketable. You can't well, fucking come at me with David S. Pumpkins too. I mean, they made a cartoon. Yeah, but it's not as good. Yeah, but yeah. So I, 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 will, I will pile on and say the... Uh, have you seen uh, Diner Lobster? No. Oh, the John Mulaney sketch... Diner Lobster. I've not seen Diner Lobster. I would add that because it's absurdist in a different way. It's like half observational, half absurdist because it elevates way quickly, way too fast into the realm of uh, unbelievability, which means it has to be absurd. Yeah. The realm Um, of the absurd. Yeah. Um, So I, I would say like half of the observational humor and all of absurdity. You've got, they're like, of the billions types of, of humor... So many are open to you, as long as you're not being cruel, hateful, or... And, like, you could say, like, oh, if I can't punch down, how do I make fun of... Don't make fun of! I mean, here's the thing. If you approach comedy and say, if I can't punch down, how will I succeed? There's schools available. You could learn how to weld, like... <laughs> you can learn how to code. Does, comedy don't pay. Yeah, you can, like, learn, you can learn how to weld. It's or, real hard yeah. to be a comic. If the, if the only way you can, like, imagine yourself being successful as a comic is to be cruel, yeah. like, go to school for something. Like, the chances of you making it as an exceptionally cruel comic are low. And, I mean, if you learn how to weld, you're going to hurt fewer people. Yeah. Like, get you might hurt yourself. Get a different job. Insult comics are out. Crowd working is not a career. 
Yes, it is that not. that is an open mic stand or no open mic uh, crutch. Yes, you know, working the crowd. Oh, well, let's work the crowd. Yeah, you're never gonna get a comedy special work in the crowd. I'm there sorry. Is a, there is actually a Todd Berry special called Crowd Work where he has no prepared material and only does crowd work. It's I, really funny. I feel like you have to get to a point. Oh no, you have to be Todd Berry. You have to be Todd Berry. And there's only one Todd Berry. Todd Berry, uh, I think. I think he was the author of Thank You for Coming to Hattiesburg. Yeah, he was. A book about <laughs> touring... <laughs> a the- book about touring towns that no one cares about. Oh, poor Hattiesburg. Poor Hattiesburg. I always has a soft spot in my heart, and that's the, the spot that's gonna, like, give out and kill me. Yeah, that's the cholesterol pocket. That's Yeah, it's the Ed's Burger joint. <laughs> oh, no. Some mug shots, let's be real. Mug shots is my lifeblood. Shut up. All right, anyway. So absolutely, you can do comedy in this day and age. Uh, absurdity is my favorite. Uh, Waiting for Godot, one of my favorite, one of my favorite plays. Arcadia, another really great play. Um, what's it called? Tom Stoppard. Um, he did the movie. A Rosencrantz and Guildenstern oh, yeah, are dead. Very good. Very good. I would call that more meta textual, but it does borderline absurdity. The Theater of the Absurd is one of my favorites, because when it's done well, it knocks it out of the park, and when it's done badly, you can ignore it. There is a uh, there's a concept in, in improv comedy called the Realm of the Absurd. Okay. And the Realm of the Absurd is a place you can enter with an absurd character where you, you establish your absurdity so concretely that you can extrapolate it into a world. Yeah. And then you have a a reasonable character in an absurd world... And the realm of the absurd is a very special place to get to. It's very nice when it happens, though. That seems very hard to pull off organically. Yes. Yeah. It is hard to pull off organically. Then you just have a scene start where you literally state the ridiculous rules of the world. You're like, I'm a police officer made of macaroni. Yeah. I'm reminded of some seminars I took when I when I did improv where it's like, there are three types of scenes. A crazy person and a straight person. A, crazy, or a straight person in a crazy world. Or like... My favorite was two peas in a pod, where it was like, crazy person, crazy world, crazy other person. Yeah. Everything's crazy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. That's the essence of our improv troupe, Paul Rudd. Yes, of Paul Rudd. Uh, but yeah, that's how I feel about it. But speaking of absurd... We have to, for the last time in this episode, mention our sponsor... Me, man... Man League Bat. Man League Bat. Man League Bat. The World Series. The fate of the world is at stake, John. It is. The series of worlds. The series of worlds is... Look, this is it. Strohs or Nats? Who will take it? Who will own the world? Wait, hold on. You mean it's the Houston Astros versus the Houston Nationals? Washington. Washington Nationals. Nationals. So this is... The nation, the nations of the world the, against space. Yeah. Who will control Earth? Ground Earth. versus space. Earth, will Earth or space own Earth? Mm. Earth has been owned by Earth for a long time, but it has been in space. Yeah. Is this going to be a Guam situation? Oh, where Guam is part of Guam, but is also a territory of the U.S.? It's going to be a Hong Kong um, this is going to be a Guam situation. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of messages, 
A lot of messages. Don't mention Diablo 4. Don't. Don't mention Diablo 2 Remaster. Hold on, wait. I am getting a message that says, uh, we are, uh, we are be- being faced with extradition to the mainland, whatever that means. Oh, we're, we are being <laughs> extradited to the mainland? Apparently. Wow. That'll yeah. be an exciting setting. It really will be. For next week's episode. Uh, I don't know the mainland of what, but we'll see. But you know, this is incredible timing because by the time the next episode airs, not only will we be extradited to whatever mainland this is talking about, we'll also be under new ownership, either by the Earth or the space. Well, I don't... See, the World Series, as the name implies, John... Is a series of oh, games. Oh, God. What is it, like 10 games long? <laughs> I think it's like 20. <sighs> it's like a billion games. So we will not see we the end we of the World see. Series. We will be in the midst of the battle. So I, I took a look at my calendar. Yeah? And I was trying to see what happens after the normal month of October. Were the pages just spinning and spinning and spinning? Yeah, because I was spinning them, and every time I turned it over, it still said October. But it said a word that wasn't October that I can't remember. But mm-hmm. I know it kept being the same month. That's a shame, because there are no more months. Apparently not. Wait, why would I say that with an S? There's no more month. I wonder what will happen to us. What will become of us? I burped. You did. Are we keeping that one in? I guess. All I have to say, John, I know what will happen to us, and it comes very dearly and nearly from my heart and from our sponsor's heart. Go baseball! Good, good, go, go! Good, go, go, go! Good, go baseball! Good, go! Good, go. Go baseball, good go, 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 good baseball, good, good, family fun time for all, hot dog man here, good go, good go, peanuts, good go, cracker, good go, baseball. Thank you, MLB. For Jack. For sponsoring this episode. Yes, MLB. Uh, the tagline I now have to read. Yes, every time you say MLB, you have to read the entire tagline, which has been the same every which time. Which every time has been good, go, good, go, 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 good, go, 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 baseball, good, go, good, go, 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 good, go, 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 to the Man League Bat MLB. Good go go good go go good go baseball good go go good go go good go 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 baseball go good family fun Google good go good go Mark Zuckerberg Facebook 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 good go 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 baseball. Whew! I am I am tired. And that's a thank you to the MLB. For sponsoring this episode. Yes, the MLB. <laughs> good, good, go, go, good, go, 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 baseball. Good, go, 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 good, go, good, go, fun times, baseball. Good, go, go, good, good, go. Oh, good, go, baseball. Good, go, good, go, 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 go,
I feel like it's time to do the social media plugs. <laughs> yes, and as we know, since I'm editing this episode, it falls to you to do the social media plugs. That's right, Sean. Whew, I will do the social media plugs. If you want to sponsor us, send us an email at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. Please include your copy, your taglines, any photos you wish to be included in the episode. And know that we can't do photos because we're an audio-only podcast. Because there's no money. There's no money for video. If you want to send us a shorter tagline, please, for the love of God, (laughs) you can do so at ZCPCWHJ at twitter.com. And that stands for Zero Credits Podcast with Henry and Joan? ZCPCWHJ at Twitter.com. We are receptive to tweets. Facebook fucking sucks. We are on Spotify. You have to go to the podcast section of Spotify. Type zero credit, open parenthesis, S, close parenthesis, and you will find us on Spotify. Add us to your playlist. Is that a thing you can do? Could you add podcast episodes to song playlists? Add us to your playlist. Put us in between two Drake songs. I don't know. Is Drake popular? Billie Eilish. We are on... Twitch sometimes, but not lately, so why would I mention that? Maybe there's something coming up. You don't know. You gotta follow us. Zero credit. Twitch.tv slash zero credits. Maybe we'll do a spookum game. Maybe a scary game like Papers, Please. <laughs> uh, we are on iTunes, which is now called Apple Podcasts, which I always forget until I have to say it. So look for Zero Credits in the Apple Podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. And that's the best way. That's the only way. Just do that. We want to beat GCP. We never will. But we'd like to think we could. Take that, Troy. And the best way, the only way, use your mouthy, fleshy lips to use your mouthy, fleshy words to tell other people about our podcast. You tell anyone, they will automatically be brainwashed to leave us a review. Because word of the mouth is the only way we can survive in this very normal month of October. Kobe. And that's right. And once again, thank you to our sponsors, the MLB. The MLB. Uh, their tagline, I am forced to read every time John says MLB. And that, of course, is the MLB. Good go, 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 baseball. Good go, 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 good baseball. Go, go, good, good family. Zuckerberg baseball. Good, good, go, 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 good, 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 go, go. Baseball. Ghost Rose. And that's right. Thanks for sponsoring this episode. And from everyone here at the Zero Credits, two bedroom, two bathroom, two living room, two staircase, not so studio apartment. We want to wish you a happy. Good, go, go, good, go, good, go, 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 good, go, 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 good, go, go, good, go, go, good, go, go,
static grips the airwaves once more, as the ones you refer to as Henry and John finish their required duties. I wonder, do you think the voices you hear belong to humans? Think about it. Do you even know what Henry or John look like? Look like? By now you already know that it's too late to stop our plans. But while you're here, why don't we just shatter that insignificant mind of yours? Right now, 55% of the world has been connected through the inky black tendrils oozing out of the mouths of our gray-suited agents. You might be thinking, how is this possible? I don't see any inky black tendrils clinging to the walls or connecting with one another. That is by design. Over the decades, we've tried so many ideas to accomplish our task. At first, we tried plants. But you humans would cut away at the vines. I believe there's still a few strands of one attempt clinging to life, smothering out other plant life as it grows and grows. We did think the kudzu would cover the surface. Plants had covered most of the surface. We thought it the dominant pest of our world. Then you humans appeared to hack away at the vines and spray chemicals that burned our efforts away. So we pivoted, and pivoted hard. The kudzu took a while to develop. Infecting the human mind only took a couple of decades. First it was the roads, but you stopped once your cities were connected than the railroads, but they were even less successful than the roads. We thought we hit something big with electricity, the wires and cables running to every house. But as prolific as you humans are with spreading your virus existence, you do not cover the entire surface with your abodes, and somewhat surprising, you do not share your electricity with every house, with every people. It was perplexing for quite a while. Until our very own Bone Man Jones came up with the solution. See, he had lived among you, lived inside some of you, as a Bone Man for some time. We... we had no idea how you worked. Nothing more than ants to us, it didn't seem important. But Bone Man Jones did what none of us could. 
Instead of using things of humans to fulfill our dark purposes, we just use humans. You are the perfect instrument. And not just because your insides can be repurposed and corrupted to spread and spread. Not just because your small intestine is 20 feet long, or even because all the arteries, veins, and capillaries of a human child stretched end to end are estimated to a wrap around the earth about 2.5 times. None of those things made you the perfect instrument. No. No, it was how susceptible your kind is to ideas. How easily influenced. The reason you can't see the inky black tendrils wrapping around the world even at this moment is because, well, they aren't visible to you. Because they are ideas. And soon our idea shall be the only one left. To sum it up, play ball.